Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Amen. Pray with me quickly. Father in heaven, um, thank you for your word. Please, Lord, be glorified. Uh, Encourage us with your good news and your love for us and help us to uh, overflow with that good news to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, this morning, I really hope to be encouraging. Uh, I hope for this to be a life-giving word. Uh, I know that you know what I do uh, vocationally, and so I'm kind of grading my own papers here, preaching about cross-cultural work uh, and saying that it's really important and that people should do it. Um, So I get it. I, I love this life and this calling, and I think more or less we have accepted uh, the, the losses that come with it, even though they're hard and um, feel very present when you're around people that you love so much that you wish you could be around more. But I, I, I believe the, the vocation of being a cross-cultural worker uh, is a rich and, and rewarding vocation, and it's urgently needed. Um, so I pray that BC would be a place that um, overflows with global messengers who want to go out and love people in Jesus' name to, to lay down their lives in sacrificial love, to preach and to heal and to teach, to go to the harassed and helpless people of the world um, in Jesus' name. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was uh, on, the, on a bedroom floor lifting some weights, trying to um, fight back against being in America and eating Chick-fil-A. And Forrest, our eight-year-old, walked into the room he said, you can do it, Dad. I believe in you. Uh, I, didn't look like, I didn't think I looked like I was struggling that much with these little weights. Um, but it was still encouraging, and I think we can all use some encouragement. So that's my hope, is to be encouraging this morning. Um, a quick overview of how God, one way that God tends to work throughout history is that he draws us in to send us out. Uh, and he's always done it that way. In Genesis 12, he spoke to Abraham, draws him out into his presence, promises to make him a blessing, and then says, leave your country, go, and go to the land that I'll show you. In Exodus 3, Moses is a killer on the run, and he's hiding, and God appears to him in in the middle of nowhere. Moses falls on his face in worship, and God says, go, I've heard the cry of my people, and I'm sending you to bring them out. In the New Testament, in Luke 5, Peter is a hardworking fisherman who gets some advice from a man on the beach. He draws in so many fish that his nets break and the boat begins to sink, and he cries out, Jesus is Lord. He's near to Jesus, and Jesus says, go, leave your fish behind, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. In Matthew 28, after Jesus is resurrected, uh, Mary Magdalene 
runs to him when she hears him say her name and she clings to him and he does embrace her. But then he says, go tell people what you've seen over and over. God draws us in to send us out. He draws us in to know him and then he sends us out to make him known. And so I'm calling that uh, renewal driven mission, uh, renewal driven mission. God calls us in to know him and then he sends us out to make him known Depending on your personality and your season of life, maybe one thing is easier for you than, than the other. Some of us can pour ourselves into relationship building and evangelism and events and connecting with people. And some of us uh, can emphasize things like studying and counseling and doing the behind the scenes stuff so that Christian life can go on. But if we return to the pattern of Scripture, spiritual renewal, knowing God, experiencing the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and living on mission for Him cannot be separated. Uh, the man who founded our agency, a pastor in Philadelphia, said, the gospel that's needed to change our hearts is the same gospel that's needed to change the world. Or as a counselor friend told me, you can't take the gospel to anyone who needs it more than you do. So what I'm talking about this morning is having a fresh encounter with the gospel that transforms our own hearts and then pushes us out to reach other people, to disciple new believers, and to start new churches. Uh, so really, this is a, a message for people who know the love of Jesus. And if you haven't experienced him working in your heart, the idea of going out to tell anybody about it would be foolishness. But the, the dynamic that I'm wanting to, to emphasize this morning is that we experience God's love in our hearts, and then it overflows to those around us. God draws us in to send us out. And I think this, this dynamic of renewal-driven mission to be drawn into Jesus and then pushed out to tell people about him over and over again is what we all need. I think it's what Hannibal needs and Canton needs. I think it's what Spain and Morocco need. I think it's what I need, and it's what BC needs. It's not something we do one time, believe in Jesus once, and then go do stuff for him for the rest of our life in our own power, but we have to continually come back to him for the joy and the life and the renewal that we need. And when the Holy Spirit produces in us joy and life and forgiveness and power, it's never for our sake alone. It's never for you alone. We always exist not for ourselves, but for Christ and for his glory around the world. Uh, Paul, when he was praying for the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, said something that I, I think I've read over my whole life, but recently jumped out to me this summer. He says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And so the, the image here is that individual believers have an internal joy and experience of the good news of Jesus. But then in the church, it overflows from individual believers to the church community. And then that church has a collective love Enjoy in the gospel that overflows to everyone else, to the people around them, to their community. That's the pattern he prays for. 
overflow in our hearts, overflow into the lives of one another in church community, and then overflow to everyone else, everyone that's outside the faith and in desperate need of the good news of Jesus. Love in Christian life is not some kind of limited commodity that uh, you only have so much of, but it can increase and overflow over and over. Uh, The great love of God is multiplying and overflowing. It, It doesn't run out. In fact, when it starts to flow, just more and more of it gets produced. It's like um, when Forrest was encouraging me while I was lifting those weights, it didn't cost him any joy or encouragement to give me joy and encouragement. It was just an overflow of him wanting to say something nice to his dad. I remember as a kid on on the farm uh, when I first learned about uh, siphoning water from one cattle tank to another, from one pond to another, that my dad would would get this water flowing through a hose, and then once it started, it just just made itself flow. The, The concepts of how water flows once it starts are fascinating, but even more so, Christian love, once it starts to flow, it just keeps going. And so here in Matthew 9, we have a quick glimpse of how renewal-driven mission can work in the lives of Jesus' followers. I want to point out three things in in Matthew 9. Um, First thing is the opportunity. It says that Jesus went teaching, proclaiming the good news, healing, showing his power and authority. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says to his disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers. So what Jesus is doing here in in Matthew 9, even in Matthew 8, is demonstrating his authority over sickness and storms. He's healing people. Uh, He's showing himself to be an authority. He's teaching the crowds and small groups, and he calls people to follow him. But what strikes me is verse... 36, it says Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. We know Jesus taught hard things. He was not afraid to say the truth and call people out, use very harsh language towards hypocrites and and abusers. But right here we see God, the God-man, Look at sinners, and his reaction is not that they need to know something new from me, that they need to, I need to drop the hammer or the truth on them, but that he's heartbroken. He's in pain. He, he has compassion. Literally, he hurts with or feels with them. It's the same word used in the parable of the Good Samaritan and the parable of the prodigal son when someone sees a hurting person and then run towards them. Compassion to hurt with. So I want to ask you, brother, sister, do you have the margin in your life to see and hurt with people? Are you too busy, too ingrown with your life, your career, your family, your church, your projects? But can you even see the hurting people that God has in front of you? Secondly, the task. Jesus says, 
pray for laborers to go into the field. And so what is the labor? What's the work that they have to do? I think it's evident there. I think it's to tell those sheep about the shepherd. To tell those sheep about the shepherd. That's what Jesus is essentially doing. I'm the shepherd who's come for his sheep. So what the laborers would do would be share that same message, do the same thing that Jesus was doing. It says in verse 35 that Jesus was teaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He was healing, which we can participate in as we beg God to do miraculous things in healing disease and affliction, but also engaging in practical sacrificial love towards suffering people. Healing can come both ways for us. But the meaning of the Christian life is not just this uh, ingrown self-improvement or individual salvation or personal holiness. It's not just that when you die, one day you'll go to heaven and be with God. The meaning of the Christian life is that God comes to the world. That Jesus came to us. That Jesus, the Messiah, was sent into the world to save it. Jesus' answer to Nicodemus in John 3.16 was, was this, basically... God was so moved. God had compassion. God hurt. He loved us so much that God himself died on the cross to save people. That's the message Jesus brought. God doesn't just have us here in Hannibal or wherever he has us to get better. God has us here because he loves the world. God has you here because he loves the world. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. I think that's a fight worth joining. And I think that that verse convicts me. Many times my heart is cold toward the lost around me. I see them as obstacles or people who are slowing me down. And so another practical question could be, do we love the lost? As you pray for me, one thing you can pray is just that I would love the people around me. Even though this is a vocational thing that my life is devoted to, I often catch myself, Brian, your heart is cold towards all these people around you. The very people God has sent you to love and care about and listen to, I start to, to view as a problem and an inconvenience. But when we have that love, when, when God works that love in our hearts, we see these harassed and helpless people, and we share the invitation of the Messiah in Isaiah 55, which I think is a beautiful encapsulation of what we can tell the world around us. The, the next slide shows Isaiah 55 on the screen. Talking about the Messiah, this is a, a prophetic invitation. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And then the question, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Everything you're, you're pursuing in the world around us is pursuing to fill up and to, to give them joy and purpose is, is empty, Isaiah 55 says. Why are you buying wine that doesn't really make you happy? Why are you buying milk that doesn't really give you strength? 
Why do you spend your money, your life, your energy, your heart for things that don't really satisfy you? But the answer from the Lord is in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is the invitation. Everything you're pursuing that leaves you empty, everything that isn't Christ, will not satisfy you, will not give you the joy and the strength that you think it will. But there is someone, there is a God who loved you so much. He saw you and he hurt. And so he came to earth and lived the life that you should have lived. And then he died in your place. He will abundantly pardon you. We don't have to get creative as messengers. We don't have to think of some new captivating way to tell the story. The plain truth of the gospel is so amazing if we'll stop and think about it. That there is a God who is all-powerful, who knows everything, in control of everything. He knows you and loves you, and he wants to offer you eternal life and joy. He wants to satisfy every longing that you have. If we'll just let that out of its cage, it is an amazing message. As Kurt Thompson in his book, The Soul of Shame, said, we're all born into the world looking for someone looking for us. And what we have is a message to the world around us. I know that person that you're looking for. You were born looking for someone who is looking for you, and his name is Jesus. Um, returning to the text, let's not skip over the fact that he turns to his disciples and says to pray. Prayer isn't just something we do for missions or for lost people. Prayer is, is actually a legitimate and essential response to seeing the brokenness and lostness of the world around us. It's not the, the pre-activity, it's the real work. Devoting yourself to prayer for the world, to see the kingdom come, isn't like minor league Christianity, if you can't do anything else, do that. But it's the initial command Jesus gave after he was moved. His heart was broken, and his response is not do something, tell something, it's pray. Missionaries can't simply be devoted to ministry activity. They must be devoted to prayer as well. In our neighborhoods, we can't just have creative outreach, barbecues, friendly conversations, invitations to church, good Bible preaching. We have to be praying as well. We have to be praying first. In so many ways, I think personally and collectively, prayer is a forgotten practice in Christian community. And the last thing in the text that I want to point out is the promise that Jesus makes. Jesus proceeds to send out these 12 disciples in the next couple verses. He gives them instructions about how to handle money and opposition and things like that. And, and then he says, basically, go. You're the answer to your prayer. You, you prayed to the Father to send out more workers, and you are the more workers. Uh, you're the answer to your own prayer. And sometimes it's like that with us as well. Um, authority. And then they come back um, quickly. A few verses later, they're, they're back with Jesus so that he didn't send them out forever. But at the end of Matthew 28, he does give them kind of a final ultimate sending. And this is a sending that 
uh, has been a command for you and me and Christians throughout the years ever since then in Matthew 28. In this ultimate sending, Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here's the promise. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a promise from Jesus in verse 20 that he is with us as we go. I would say that uh, we've seen the Lord especially kind and good and generous to us in these last three years, that there's been a joy of coming back, going back to Spain to feel like we're really walking in the path that he has for us and we're where he made us to be. And it's a gift to be happy. But going isn't easy. And I mean that if you stay in Hannibal or if you move overseas. Going is not easy. Uh, those sheep without the shepherd have a wolf that's trying to devour them and the messengers. The messenger who goes to tell those sheep is a fallen, sinful person. When I got on the plane, all my sins got on the plane with me. And some of them grew somehow over the Atlantic Ocean. And when you try to learn a language, some of your sins grow more. And when you don't understand government bureaucracy and stupid rules and loss of freedoms, some of your sins grow. Going out in Jesus' name has a way of exposing sin in us. Uh, it removes some of that flexibility and can um, show the, more the ugliness of our hearts. It creates conflict to be in such tight community with other workers and it lets us see the broken places in each other. A lot of the New Testament is written to churches and just telling them, please stop being so stupid to each other. Um, and when you start a new church, you see why. And it's like, come on, guys. Can we just do basic courtesy to each other? But the invitation of the gospel is not just for those people out there, but it's here for us, too, in the church. For believers. It's not just for the, the unbelievers, but it's for the believers as well. So sin and suffering and brokenness and these things get that show up in the world, what's it do? It drives us back to Jesus. We have to go back to him to say, Lord, forgive me for what I did or didn't do. Lord, give me love. Give me power. Give me faith. And then he gives it to you. And he says, now go tell people about it. And as we go, we, we find ourselves driven back to him again. So we're grateful to be on the field, but without a doubt, some of the loneliest and darkest days that we've ever had have been on the field as well. Seasons of incredible loss and fear and anxiety, insomnia, um, really, really dark times. And I, I spent a, not a year, but several months uh, with, with horrible insomnia about 10 years ago. And all I could do at night was just say, Jesus be with me, Jesus be with me, Jesus be with me until I fell asleep. And he was. And he was. When I was a kid in Cahokia, Missouri, I remember sitting in our Ford minivan parked outside the Clark County nursing home while my mom visited her, her old lady friends in the, the nursing home that she liked to go visit every week. And I remember uh, 
feeling like a sinner. And I would ask Jesus to, to forgive me, to come into my heart. Um, and then as soon as I got done praying, I'd be afraid that I didn't say the prayer the right way, or I, maybe I sinned in that last second. And so I'd ask Jesus to come into my heart again and f- to forgive me again. And this uh, is an image of just kind of my anxiety around God's love for me from a very young age. Uh, did I get it right? Do you really love me? Did I mess it up? Uh, am I forgiven or not? Am I the faker and everyone else is the real Christian? But after that season of depression and anxiety and insomnia and only having Jesus by my side, I don't have that fear anymore because he was with me. And in my darkest moment, his promise in Matthew 28 was true. If you you go, I will be with you. If you go, I won't leave you alone. Uh, Oscar Romero, South American theologian, said, uh, Hay muchas cosas que solo pueden ser vistas a través de ojos que han llorado, which means basically there are many things that can only be seen through eyes that have cried. There is a sweetness to the fellowship that we have with the Lord Jesus when we experience his promise to be with us as we go out. When we go, when we're moved, pushed out with compassion because of what we experience in our own heart, Jesus is with us. Maybe, maybe we are moved in compassion across the street or across the, the table or across the living room. Maybe we're moved to go across the ocean. But when we go out in his name, we can count on his promise to, bear, to be with us. The gospel is good news. It draws us in, but then it sends us out. And so may we please believe it for ourselves and let us ask the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers, maybe even us, into his fields. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your compassion towards us, for loving us when we were sheep without a shepherd, and for sending Jesus to save us. Please, Lord, continue to work in our hearts. Continue to draw us close to you that we can experience your love and then overflow. That here at at BC, this church would overflow in Hannibal and, and around the world with a genuine love that comes from experiencing you in our hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.